0: The Holy Gospel according to St. John from the 7th chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. The Gospel this morning comes from John chapter 7, verses 37 through 39, and can be found on page 1660 of your Pew Bible. <clears throat> John records, On the last and greatest day, Of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as Scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. Now, by this, he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. You may be seated. Will you pray with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. In the name of Jesus. Well, today the Christian church on earth celebrates the new birth that we have in Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit's gift of faith. You know, our moms gave us birth into this world and the Holy Spirit has given us birth into the family of God, his church. Now, two weeks ago, the gospel told of Jesus' promise of another helper, a paraclete, not parakeet a paraclete Jesus promised is written in John 14:16 he said i will ask the father and he will give you another paraclete to be with you forever and later on that same evening he spoke of the paraclete again in John 14:26 the paraclete the holy spirit whom the father will send in my name He will teach you all things and bring to you remembrance all that I have said to you. And he also said in John 15, 26, When the paraclete comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And again, he said in john 16:13 when the spirit of truth comes he will guide you into all the truth for he will not speak on his own authority but whatever he hears he will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come and these are but a few of the many promises that jesus made concerning the Holy Spirit. Now today, the epistle Well, it tells us how God kept these promises. As the Holy Spirit revealed himself with a mighty sound and a mighty sight, there was the rumble, the rumble of a great and powerful wind, yet there was no wind. There was the tongues of flame that were resting on each of the disciples, and yet they did not get burnt up. God's people proclaimed Jesus and his work in languages that they had never spoken before. There was the revelation of the Holy Spirit to his church. Now, this amazing revelation happened at the exact time of God's choosing, for it coincided exactly with the feast of the Pentecost. Now, God had established many feasts back in the day of Moses. When God established the first Passover, he also established a feast called first Fruits and another feast that came 50 days after First Fruits. And the Greek name for this festival is Pentecost, which simply means that it comes 50 days later. Now, the ceremonial law required a pilgrimage to the temple for for three, three of the major feasts that God gave to his people. And Pentecost was one of those three that the people had to go to, had to be there. Thus, the rumbling sound that the Holy Spirit made on that particular Pentecost, it called the entire community of Pentecost pilgrims and the God-fearing residents of Jerusalem, it called them to the house where the disciples were gathered. In effect, this was the gathering together of the Old Testament church. And as the people of the Old Testament church drew near the house, they would have encountered people who told them who Jesus was and what he had come and what he had done for their salvation. These people did not speak the lofty language of Hebrew, of the temple. The people that were telling those pilgrims coming to that house, they were telling them about Jesus, not in the lofty, highfalutin word of the Hebrew temple, nor did they speak in the street language of Aramaic, They weren't speaking to these people in the commercial language of Greek or even the the legal language of Latin. But as these pilgrims drew near, they learned. They learned and they heard the story of salvation in each of their own native language. Think about that. The language that these people were hearing about Jesus Christ was the same language that they heard from their mother and from their father in the homes that they grew up in through childhood. Astounding. All these amazing things were the Holy Spirit's means to accomplish the goal of gathering together his Old Testament church and telling her, that her waiting was over, that the New Testament had begun. The Pentecost pilgrims and the other righteous people who gathered together on that day had been looking forward to the Messiah. They had been keeping the ceremonial law of circumcisions and all of the sacrifices and all of the other customs as a reminder that one day the Messiah would come, and one day the Messiah would fulfill all the law and offer himself up as a sacrifice to end all sacrifices. Their faith looked into the future Messiah who was to come. And now, that day, that very special Pentecost, the Holy Spirit gathered the church together to tell her that the Messiah had come. He had come in the person of Jesus, of Nazareth. And he is the Messiah, the Christ, the Anointed One. And on this particular Pentecost, the Holy Spirit called together the Old Testament church and transformed her into the new Testament church. Now, amid all the amazing things that happened on that particular Pentecost, it is easy to confuse God's goal with the means that he used to accomplish that goal. After all, this is pretty exciting stuff. Imagine a sound of a mighty wind, the appearance of what looks like flames of fire, and suddenly the ability to speak and understand a foreign language. It is easy to get distracted by all of these things and forget the main goal. What is the main goal? The goal of creating faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ. That's what the Holy Spirit does. Now, when people confuse the means with the goal, they get confused about the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. Some treat him like a great spiritual vending machine in the sky that disperses good things. Some expect the Holy Spirit to make them instantly fluent in some strange language. Some think that the Holy Spirit is there to give them an extra boost of spiritual power. And others think that the Holy Spirit will get them in touch with the cosmic forces of the universe. And still others somehow equate the presence of the Holy Spirit with their state of emotion at the time. In recent years, and today, the confusion about the work of the Holy Spirit has spilled over into our worship. Our cultural, culture's focus is on feelings instead of facts. And that has led many to think that Worship is about feelings. Instead of focusing on how God deals with us in Christ, we we focus on how we feel about God in our hearts. Some even pray and sing and preach about our feelings. Many, many, many Christians talk about an atmosphere of worship, the mood of worship, or a feeling of worship. Worship is often described in blatantly emotional terms. Here's a a list. The worship was moving. It was stimulating. It was stirring, exciting, inspiring exhilarating, and sometimes even intoxicating. Okay, so don't get me wrong. Need to head that one off at the pass. I'm not saying that we can't get excited or emotional about the salvation that Jesus Christ has earned for us with his death on the cross. I'm not saying that at all. In fact, you would have to be dead to not feel sorrow on Good Friday or elation on Easter. But what I am saying is that our feelings, our senses, our attitudes are not reliable indications of the Holy Spirit's presence, nor are they indications of His work It's very, very seductive to talk about the Holy Spirit at work when we are upbeat and cheerful and excited and and so forth. While it is easy to link positive emotions to the presence of the Spirit, there is a flip side to that idea. Let me ask you this. Consider this. You see, if positive emotions indicate the presence of the Spirit— Do negative emotions indicate his absence? No. For example, what about those days? Some of you, all of you have had them. But what about those bad days when we slam doors or throw things or, or say heck? Or yell at family or maybe send the kids to their room? What about those times when we are so grouchy that we want to slap the silly off of somebody or give that annoying one a swift kick? What about those days when We don't feel very Christian. Are those signs that the Holy Spirit has abandoned us? Certainly not. You see, our emotions, they go up and they go down every day. Sometimes we even carry conflicting emotions within us. Every Christian has a unique set of emotions. If we rely on our emotions to guide us, well, then one person could claim a revelation from God that directly contradicted another person's revelation from God. We could even contradict ourselves from one day to the next. And and, (laughs) thank you, Lord, God doesn't work that way. He just doesn't. God has chosen not to communicate to us through our fluctuating emotions. God has chosen to communicate to us through his never-changing, always-stable, ever-trustworthy word. All the marvelous signs of that one special Pentecost were the means that the Holy Spirit used to get his word to the church. And when the devout men from every nation under heaven came together, each one heard them speak in his own language, and they heard about the mighty works of God, and they heard about the perfect life of Jesus, his sacrificial death, his resurrection, his ascension, and his future return. They heard that this work of Jesus forgives sins and makes us holy in God's sight. They heard the faith in this Jesus received all the gifts he earned for us on the cross. The Holy Spirit was at work through the word of God. And on the day after, on the day after that special Pentecost, There was no sound of a mighty wind, the tongues of fire had gone away, and the people spoke simply in their own language. But regardless of that, the Holy Spirit was still very much at work. The story goes on after today's epistle and says in Acts 2.47, the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. And God's church still had his word, and the Holy Spirit continued to work through the word. Man, the Holy Spirit still works through the word of God. It. Has always been that way and it will always be that way. And the true sign of the Holy Spirit at work is the proclamation of God's Word. The Holy Spirit points to Jesus who is the God-man who saved us from sin with his suffering and his death on the cross and the promises of of giving us life everlasting with his resurrection. The Holy Spirit works through God's word when we hear it with our ears, when we read it with our eyes, and when we experience that word in the water of holy baptism, and when we receive it in the true body and the true blood of Jesus, in the bread and the wine of the Lord's supper, supper. The Holy Spirit is at work when we confess our faith before each other, and when we confess our faith before those who do not know Jesus yet. In today's epistle, the Holy Spirit used light, and sound to call the church to hear the proclamation that the Messiah that they had been waiting for had indeed come in the person of Jesus of Nazareth. And the Holy Spirit transformed the Old Testament church into the New Testament church. And the Holy Spirit continues building the New Testament church. To this very day, the Holy Spirit still calls us by the gospel, enlightens us with his gifts, it sanctifies and keeps us in the true faith. And as he gives each of us new birth into the Holy Christian Church, so also he calls, he gathers, he enlightens And he sanctifies that whole Christian church on earth and keeps her in the one true faith. The paraclete. The paraclete enables us to say this. In this Christian church, he daily and richly forgives all my sins and the sins of all believers. And on the last day, he will raise me and all the dead, and give eternal life to me and all believers in Christ, this is most certainly true. In the name of Jesus, amen.